Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. Today I'll be teaching from the pastoral epistle of 1 Timothy chapter 2, the New International Version. So let's begin. I'm reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Christians are commanded to be praying people. God wants us to be people of prayer. Every Christian should discipline themselves to pray, to pray regularly, to, to become familiar with prayer and familiar with God and so far as uh, communicating with him on a regular basis. So every Christian should learn how to pray and should spend time praying. Our prayers help to maintain a peaceful and quiet society. We carry a lot of weight in society. So our prayers are reaching into the heavenlies. We are touching and affecting things that we not may not even realize that we're affecting. So uh, God says to us through the Apostle Paul and others that we should pray. The Bible talks a lot about God's people praying and uh, bringing about change in society, positive change, the change that God wants. Um, we are commanded to pray for all people. Uh, that's the first thing that Paul said. We ought to pray for all people. We should have a a list of uh, unsaved people that we pray for, that we're praying for their salvation on a daily basis. Uh, we should pray for the masses around us. And, and uh, certainly we should pray for the people of God as well. We should pray for our rulers, those who are in power, regardless of what political uh, party they might represent. We are to pray for them. We are to pray for the good of our nation, the good of our society. We ought to pray for peace and prosperity, the peace and prosperity of our nation. Uh, I just happen to live in America, so I, I pray for America, because if America does well, then we, the people of God, will do well. So we should pray. Even though this world is passing away, we should pray for the peace and the prosperity of our, our nation. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 7, God said to the Israelites who had been taken in exile by the Babylonians, God commanded them and said, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So uh, we are to pray for the good of, of our nation. Wherever we live, we want we want it to be prosperous. We want it to be peaceful. And so uh, we can help to maintain that peace and prosperity by praying. Paul listed several kinds of prayer. 
he said, uh, he mentioned petition prayers. Um, petition prayers are specific requests to God. If we have something specific that we want from God, that we want God to do, we petition him for that. And then he mentioned prayers of intercession. Um, and prayers of intercession, intercessory prayers, are made on the behalf of other people. We stand in the gap, we, we pray for them, and we intercede to God on their behalf. Then Paul mentioned thanksgiving prayers, and prayers of thanksgiving are prayers that just give thanks to God. Uh, we should have a list of things that we thank God for specifically, and we can thank God in general for his goodness and, and uh, his kindness to us, but we should also be specific about what we thank God for. We should be people of prayer and thanksgiving. We should be people of, of gratitude. And then we're commanded to pray with all kinds of prayer. So we're to pray specifically, petitions, intercessory prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, and then just pour our hearts out to God. In fact, there's one passage of scripture that says that sometimes we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes uh, we can just... Uh, pour out our hearts through groaning, or we may uh, pray in the spirit. That is, uh, praying in, in tongues, actually. Uh, so we should just allow God to work in us and through us, but we should be people of prayer, all kinds of prayer and supplication to God. It's important to understand the power of prayer. We wield a, a great power as the people of God, as Christians, we have great power uh, in heaven, and we can change earth. Prayer is not rubbing a magic lamp. It is something that must be persisted in over time. We have to uh, be patient. We have to learn to pray and seek God and, and wait as the farmers do for the, for the manifestation or the harvest of what we are praying for. Uh, a good prayer to pray for, to pray for your children is a prayer that I've been praying for my children since some of them before some of them were born, since they were little bitty things, I began to pray Psalms 112 and one through five. And it says, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commandments. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Again, that's Psalm 112 and 1 through 5. And I've been praying that I incorporated it into my prayers when my children were little. And I just began to pray that my seed is mighty in the earth. The King James says, free, uh, our seed. His seed shall be mighty in the earth, speaking of our children and, and even our grandchildren. So I name all of my children uh, name by name. And then when the, uh, my children married, I included their spouses in the prayer. And then when they had children, I began to name all of my grandchildren name by name. And I would uh, confess this from Psalm 112. My, my seed is mighty in the earth. The generation of the upright is blessed. Um, and so I would pray that for my children one by one. And 
Certainly God has worked in their lives and one by one he brought them, brought them into the kingdom of God. Uh, they were not serving God as, as children and as teenagers as and as young adults as they grew up. But one by one, they began to turn to God and they began to serve God. And then my grandchildren were born into these homes. They're born into Christian homes. And I taught my children to pray the same thing over their children. So that's a great prayer to pray over your children, over your grandchildren. And I pray over succeeding generations all the way until Jesus comes. I don't know when that's going to be, but I ask God to bless my seed and make them mighty all the way until the time that he comes. Don't let one of them be lost. I don't want one of my children to populate hell. Not one of my children, not one of my grandchildren or great-grandchildren. I pray for them even before they're born. So make the commitment to a life of prayer and God will honor it. Now I'm looking at verses five through seven. But there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Uh, polytheism, that is the worship of many gods, was the norm in Paul's day. Christians needed to be reminded that there was only one God. There was one God. There was one Lord Jesus Christ and his father, God. And so uh, Paul had to remind them of that fact, that there is one creator, one sustainer of the entire universe, and he is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so the uh, ancient people, would consort with soothsayers and witches and witch doctors and psychics to engage uh, their power. Uh, and, and that's a terrible thing to do. Uh, we should not uh, deal with psychic powers or, or seek to, to, uh, to solicit the aid of, of spiritual powers of darkness. Uh, there are demon powers, but there is one God. There are two powers in the world, the power of God and there's the power of Satan. God is the one true God. And so we should turn away from uh, idol gods and false gods and false notions about God and serve and worship the one true God. Uh, every other thing that, that presents itself as a deity is a demonic power and should be shunned and should be turned away from. God is calling us to renounce the powers of darkness and to embrace the one true God, okay? So Paul says there's only one God, there's only one mediator. A mediator is a peacemaker or a go-between. And of course, Jesus Christ is the mediator between us and God. Um, he went between us and God to offer his own body on the cross to pay for our sins, to atone for our sins to make appeasement with God so that we wouldn't have to uh, meet an angry God. And now uh, God will welcome us lovingly into the kingdom of God and into heaven itself because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So there is one mediator between God and man and that, that mediator is Christ Jesus. Jesus 
mediated. That is, he made peace between us and God, again, by giving his own body and shedding his own blood. His death on the cross was our ransom, and it was witnessed to publicly. He was executed publicly on the hill of Golgotha, and many people witnessed his, uh, his execution, his death, and uh, many people also witnessed his resurrection. Paul's purpose was to proclaim the gospel and teach the Gentiles about this peace that we have with God. That's what he was called to do. He said he was a herald and an apostle. A uh, herald is one who goes about telling the truth, proclaiming news. And so Paul proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, uh, we have been given forgiveness of our sins and we've been given eternal life. And so Paul was one of the first to, to begin to go around and herald that, to, to announce that. And he won many people into the kingdom of God. Now, verses 8 through 10, I'm reading. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Uh, Paul said men should set the example of prayer and holy living in the home and in the community. So uh, men, it is not uh, feminine or sissy to pray. It is a show of strength. It is a show of maturity. Um, it is a show of power to be able to, to submit to God and to uh, allow people to know that you yield yourself to the Almighty God. That is not a weakness. That is a strength of character. Men, don't be ashamed to let your family see you praying. Let them see you praying. Model prayer and, and right living for your wife and, uh, and for your children. Allow them to see you on, on your knees, uh, kneeling to God and submitting yourself to, uh, to him. And, and your children, especially your young boys, will uh, understand that that is a show of strength, that daddy is a man who is disciplined and submitted uh, to God, and they will follow suit in their own lives. Boys will follow their fathers. They want to imitate them. So we have a responsibility not just to teach them with words, but we ought to teach them by example. We are to show them how to be gentlemen, kind men, praying men, men who are submitted to God and committed to righteousness, right? The ancient Jewish custom was to lift up their hands in prayer. And so Paul said, uh, I pray that men everywhere will lift up holy hands. And the King James says, without wrath or doubting. Lifting up holy hands speaks of a holy lifestyle of a regular prayer. The phrase without anger or disputing or wrath or doubting in verse eight, it, it urged them to rid themselves of, of an ang angry demeanor, the tendency toward anger and, and, and wrath, uh, to turn from the tendency to be argumentative and disagreeable 
and we should learn how to be peaceful and to be peacemakers. We should set the example to our children how to be uh, men of peace, people of peace. Verse 9 says, the priority for women should not be upon outward dress and adornment, but decency and modesty. Um, of course, some of the old line Pentecostals went overboard and they began to teach against everything for the women. They uh, Early on, they taught that women couldn't uh, straighten their hair. Uh, women couldn't wear pants. Uh, women couldn't wear jewelry or or anything like that. They couldn't wear their toes out. And, and, and they just kind of went overboard in their focus on dress. Dress is important. It's important to to dress modestly, the Bible says, um, but it's also good to be stylish. Uh, it's good for women to fix themselves up, but that should not be the priority. The priority has to be the heart, the hidden person of the heart, the character. And so Paul is saying, uh, focus more of your, your attention upon being godly women, upon exhibiting the goodness and the kindness and the, and the meekness of Christ in your life uh, above uh, your outward dress. And again, it's good to dress nice. It's good to, 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 to look good. You want to be presentable to your husband and to uh, people in society, but uh, not we shouldn't dress provocatively. And I don't think that Christian women uh, should dress publicly uh, sexy in public to, to uh, reveal uh, parts of their body that's going to entice um, uh, men of people of the opposite sex. Uh, I think that we should be modest, and that's what the scripture is saying here. Um, it's okay to be sexy in your bedroom with your husband, um, but I think that that should be reserved uh, to your husband. So Paul is saying here how Christian women should prioritize uh, dressing up the heart and and uh, presenting themselves in a good light with Christ. So Christian women should be known more for their good deeds, Paul is saying, than for their taste uh, in style and fashion. Again, this doesn't mean that women should neglect their appearance, but Christian character should rise above outward uh, show of beauty. Now I'm reading verses 11 through 15. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Uh, this is a passage that some women and men bristle at. And I understand God's order in the church places men in authority. It's just very clear. It places the man in, in authority. Uh, Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 3, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So what Paul is doing is, is setting the organizational flowchart for the order uh, that God directs in the church. 
of course, it doesn't mean that women are inferior to men. It's just the order that God set in the church. Um, it does not uh, su suggest that uh, men are more intelligent, that uh, even men are more capable. I don't know. That may be questionable. But uh, it is the, just the order that God ordained in the church. Women are commanded to exercise their ministry gifts under male authority in the church. Paul goes back to the order of creation as a precedence here. Verse 13 says, Adam was formed first and then Eve. And verse 14 says, Adam was not deceived, but Eve was. Now, this same apostle Paul in Galatians 3.28 he says, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul is not uh, being prejudiced against women. He is just articulating the order, um, uh, the, the order of leadership in the church. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 11 and 11 through 12, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God, okay? So Paul is here articulating the interdependency between men and women, that men and women are dependent upon each other, um, that we have a, a relationship that is reliant upon each other. Eve was taken from Adam, but since that time, every man was taken from a woman. So Paul is showing that interdependence between men and women uh, and the order certainly that God said. God set this order for his own purposes, um, but we're all one in Christ regardless of sex, the Bible said. God set this same order in the way that he sent out the gospel. It was first to to the Jews, sent first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Of course, it was sent first to the Jews because they're the ones who were given the oracles of God and they're the ones through whom Jesus Christ came. They're the ones to whom God gave the promise, beginning with Abraham and down through Jacob and, uh, and all the way down the line. So uh, since they were the ones who were given the oracles of God, they were the ones who would first receive uh, the things of God, the gospel message. Jesus Christ came to the Jews first, and he told his, uh, his uh, disciples to first preach to the, to the house of Israel before going out to the Gentiles. And, and once he had reached the house of Israel, and of course, as a whole, they rejected the gospel, then he, of course, turned to the Gentiles, and, and they began to preach to the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that God favors Jews uh, over Gentiles as it relates to salvation. It's just the order that he established things. And Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God is not establishing superiority. He is just establishing the hierarchy. Now, this doesn't mean that Jews are superior to Gentiles or that they're loved more than Gentiles. It is God's organizational flowchart for operating 
his church in his kingdom. Now, I'm not one of those who fight women in ministry. I know a number of gifted and anointed women ministers. I would say to women in ministry, just conduct yourselves in accordance to the way that harmonizes with the word of God, with the clear teaching of scripture. And I think that everything will be okay. Uh, I have deep respect for women in ministry. Now, let me cite two passages that might help in, uh, in, in this uh, conversation about women in ministry. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter quotes and interprets Joel 2.28. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's um, Acts 2 and 17. And then Acts 2.19, um, Philip the evangelist, the Bible says that Philip the evangelist had four unmarried daughters who did prophesy. So I believe that there's a place for women in ministry, and I, but I believe that God just set that order in place. Now, these passages don't contradict or nullify what Paul says, but, but it helps us to understand that Paul's statement doesn't bind women to absolute silence in the church, and it doesn't ban them from ministry. It just provides the proper hierarchy of leadership in the church. Now, in verse 15, Paul talks about the importance of women bearing children. Childbearing exalts, honors, and distinguishes women, despite the suffering that's involved with bringing forth children. Psalms 127 and 3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward for him. So Paul urges women to bear children and to continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of 1 Timothy chapter 2. In our next teaching session, uh, as we're teaching through the Bible, uh, we will cover chapter 3, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you were blessed by this teaching today. And thank you for joining us. And until next time, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.emergecurriculum.com.